Hello, everybody. It is Mike here. We are back to podcasting. Thanks for listening to the All These Branches podcast. Uh, This week, we have a very special guest in a friend, mentor, um, bundle of wisdom, Woody Garvin. Woody is somebody who has been to Branches a few different times. He works alongside Katie Haney, and they uh, head what is known as the West Central Development Project, a group... um, centering around the concept of asset-based community development. And they have been doing a lot of development, community development work within the context of West Central, even during this uh, socially distant COVID time. They've been doing that uh, primarily through Zoom. If that's something you want to get plugged into, you can reach out to me. My email is mike at wearebranches.com. But Woody is somebody who has meant a lot to me over the past few years He and I have met almost weekly, uh, very consistently, to talk about life, to talk about the things that cause us to come alive and be sparked by wonder and intrigue, the things that cause us to be curious and where we find the divine and what it means to uh, hold a position where you are trying to help lead others to expand their view of mystery and possibility, and divinity, and spirit in their midst. Woody is somebody who has been a pastor in different capacities and through different contexts for almost, maybe even fully now, 50 years. Uh, He's been doing this for a long time, and he's somebody who has consistently uh, expanded himself. Um, He his view of spirit is something that is free and something that is um, waiting to be recognized amidst all things. Him and I talk about Ecclesiastes 3, specifically uh, 1 through 8, but we also, before we get in there, are kind of catching up. This is uh, us chatting in our weekly hangout. He's checking in to see what my latest frog endeavors have been, because that's something that I've been captivated by recently is frogs. Um, But him and I talk about the passage in Ecclesiastes that talks about how there's a time for this and there's a time for that. There's a time for joy and there's a time for sorrow. Um, And we just, we try and make meaning out of that. We try and discover what does that mean within our context of today. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. We have two more weeks on Ecclesiastes uh, after this. And then we are going to delve into Lent. And Lent is something at Branches, which has historically been rather heavy, um, dark, but we have had a lot of that over the past year. So we're going to reframe Lent, and I'm excited about where that's headed, and I'll have more info about that in the coming weeks. But I hope you enjoyed this conversation on Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, and other things with Woody Garvin. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. I also wanted to ask you... um, if we wanted to attend a branches service on how would we do that? Yeah. So if you want to, there are two different things that are happening in, in regard to branches at the moment. One is every uh, Sunday morning at 10 AM 
there's a Zoom time and really it's okay. a time for everybody to hang out. And usually oh. I'll bring some sort of question or topic to discuss um, or one forms naturally from the group. And then we just kind of see where it takes us. And so the link for that's in the newsletter mm. um, and it's online at our website, all these branches.com. Okay. Um, but then the podcast gets posted every Tuesday, Tuesday morning. So that's what this will be for is for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. But you also, you give a talk or a sermon weekly, right? Well, that's what the podcast is. So okay. I'm not giving a sermon anymore, like over video or mm-hmm. in a live capacity. It's more mm-hmm. just through the podcast. And the podcast will be anything from me talking on a topic solo, or I bring somebody like you in, or somebody else from the branches community. Emily and I have had a couple conversations on it too. So that's uh-huh. kind of the the outlet for the sermon these days. Just the podcast. Yeah. Have you interviewed the frog guy yet? Yeah, Dr. Kerry Krieger. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was fun. He uh, he is just a mm. wealth of information as it comes to frogs. So him and I talked. I don't. It probably about a week ago, maybe just over a week ago, uh-huh. and yeah, talking oh. about what keeps him coming back to frogs. We. <laughs> And uh, just how he got started, he was an engineer. He studied engineering in his undergrad. And then after a while, he's like, I kind of want to focus on the environment. And Mm. he went back to study environmental science. And now he is a music teacher and a frog conservation expert. Wow. I know. I like him already. Right? He's a cool guy. Yeah. Was he? Yes, he was in just very well-spoken and also just very open to the idea of a stranger who he's never met before asking uh, him questions about frogs. So you can tell that there's a playful, open nature yeah. to him, which is good. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. You wouldn't never. want anything else from somebody who talks about frogs for a living. <laughs> right. You'd want him to be a little bit quirky at least. Right, which he, he was. And so am I. So it's a great conversation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Oh, cool. Did you learn anything? Um, yeah. I I learned that there's a frog that can jump 28 times its body length, which is insane. Um, and there are other things I learned, too. I think I was just so... Right. Think about that. It's crazy. Yeah. But I was so enraptured in the moment, too, that I think I... Uh, think i'll have to go back and listen again to really take out take in everything that i learned <laughs> it was very fetching to you well yeah it's just cool it's one of those things where i'm like this is actually happening this is weird this is like a fascination that became a conversation with somebody completely out of nowhere which i love when that kind of thing happens just when you're uh you have a spark of curiosity towards something and then before you know it you're actually like existing within a concrete structure of that curiosity. I don't know if that makes sense, but like just to be briefly obsessed with frogs Mm -hmm. and then take that to a point of having a conversation with a frog expert. Mm -hmm. And then like you get the next hop to use the frog imagery 
would be to actually like having a podcast dedicated to frogs. It's just fun to watch things like that develop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. You can explore things at a surface level, mm -hmm. uh, which is fine. Or you can go deeper into them. Yep. Right. Which is, you know, that's true in relationships. For sure. You can, a lot of our conversation with people is at a pleasant, enjoyable, and superficial level. Right. So I, you know, my, the, the thought I have is in a conversation, if I can, if it's appropriate, you know, I mean, if I'm running around with my cycling guys and we're just chatting about whatever, where, where do they have good coffee or whatever, you don't have to take that deeper, you know. Right, right. Let's talk about coffee. Yeah, let's, <laughs> What do you, why do you think that is such a deep thing in our souls to desire to have good coffee? You know? Come no. on, Woody, it's too early. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but if it's a, a more curious, like I really would love to know a little bit more about this person, which it's pretty rare not to want that, right? I mean, right. we yearn for that connection. I've been listening to and reading some Brene Brown lately. Yep. And uh, that that fundamental desire in human beings for connection to be loved mm. and accepted is so profound. And it's right, it's in front of us in these relationships. But I think of it as instead of taking the con- conversation forward to the next thing, like, I don't know, coffee is a kind of a trite analogy, but like, okay, we're going to, let's say it's a serious topic. Let's not use coffee because that's not a serious topic, really. At least it, is, it isn't for me. <laughs> it's a hot take it is for quite a few people yes <laughs> right but let's say you're getting to know someone and, and you learn a little bit about their family so then you can you can move the, the conversation to the next step which be oh okay then tell me tell me more about you know what is your family doing vacation uh, or whatever or you can you can go forward or you can go deeper hmm, right. deeper and um, I don't know if this is true for our culture or what. I think for me, the tendency is to just move forward. Yeah. And if I'm conscious of it, I can pause and go deeper, you know? Yeah. Tell, tell me more about that. When you're, when you're describing your family and you're growing up and at one point your dad lost his job and you had to move, what, what was that like for you when that happened? Right, what was right, that, right. The like for your family? What was it like for your dad? You know, that's trying to gently go deeper right. in relationships is very different than just keep staying broad. That is interesting. Yeah. And it does seem to me that like we almost create a front that the more we know is uh, like the thing we're pursuing as opposed to the depth of what we know being the mm-hmm. actual goal of something. Right. Because I could know maybe three stories of your life, but have a real unique and interesting understanding of the way you interact with the spiritual world, the way you interact with meaning making and all that. Or I could know almost everything about the story of your your life and not even really know who you are. I mean, I think there are some siblings who that's the case. I, yeah. I mean, I feel like I have a decent sense of my siblings, but I know almost the whole context of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas there are people who I don't know that much about their life, but I probably have a deeper sense of who they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Can you hear my dog right now? He and the neighbor dog are barking back and forth. It's yeah, I like, I like it. Okay, good. I don't. So, <laughs> it's probably a lot. It's very. I wouldn't have even noted it if you hadn't pointed it out. Oh, okay. It's uh, not very loud. It's not coming across very loud. Gotcha. Good. That's good to know. And uh, there's the um, endless mystery of every person. Mm-hmm. Right. Because we are mysterious creatures made up of infinite experiences and infinite viewpoints and something may emerge at one point. We might hold one point of view and then another time, another point of view. Um, so there, it's not like we're consistent, um, <laughs> like a book or something, you know, like, well, I can go to, let me go back to page 93. What is right. it? <clears throat> it's more, uh, or, it's way more, human beings are way more organic than yeah. um, what would be the alternative. Uh, sort of set and flat coded coded right mm. to use yeah. sort of computer language um my wife stephanie <clears throat> is uh she has a deep streak of artistry in her mm -hmm. so she's drawn to it uh, aesthetics are extremely important she loves to paint she had a long run with some pretty sophisticated quilting mm. Uh, not the kind of um, women's guild at the church that makes blankets for poor people, you know. Uh, <laughs> this is like Pendleton, Pendleton status. <laughs> uh, but these are more artistic, and, mm -hmm. and she's very drawn to that. But she has some kind of inhibitors that often prevent her from engaging with that world. Yep. So her practical self, will often dominate over her creative self. Yep. And um, it remains a kind of a mystery to me, and I think to her, to understand the nuances of that, what, what triggers moving into the creative and artistic richness, and what are the inhibitors that keep that from happening. They're very strong, those inhibitors. I relate to that wholeheartedly. I mean, I think that the frog thing is me uninhibitedly pursuing yeah. something and yeah. like seeing what creativity and what uh, joy and um, discovery kind of lies within mm -hmm. that. But mm -hmm. so much, especially so much, I feel like at the past few years of just transitioning into adulthood, professionalism, whatever that might be. Right. There are more and more walls that kind of get put up between you and that line of inquiry. The right. Where that is probably really healthy for everything mm -hmm. else you're doing mm -hmm. because it's allowing you to touch into that soul level, that dynamic level and the uncoded level mm -hmm. of yourself. Um, that yeah. to me connects to Ecclesiastes. Hmm. How so? Well, Ecclesiastes is a reflection on life from a deep and, and simultaneously broad perspective. It's really stepping back. Yeah. It's looking at things in a huge context <laughs> of our, our diminutive lives and existences on this earth is one way to look at you know, what we do in life. There's a time for this and a time for that and a time for this and a time for that, right? right. It's just, it's going to happen. Yep. And if we're, um, 
if we think all these things have such profound meaning, well, in the moment, maybe they do. But if you go deeper and broader, maybe not so much. Hmm. Which can, I think, lend itself towards saying, well, then ultimately, then they're kind of meaningless, right? <laughs> Which the and author what, likes to say that. <laughs> yeah. What difference does it make? It doesn't make any difference. Mm. Or they can be freeing. Yep. To say rather than being driven by some social construct or careerism or uh, market capitalism, which uh, consumerism. Right. Uh, which we're impossible for us to be adverse to it. It's just built into our culture. Right. At a loss of other things. Hmm. And so if we can identify, you know what, in the long run, it really doesn't matter whether I drive a Kia or a Mercedes. Hmm. Yeah. It doesn't really. Therefore, oh, I have to get around. What, what, is, what are some other ways I could look at this? And yeah. Maybe I'll get a bike and commute. Exactly. And maybe instead of getting nice Italian bikes, I know of people who do things like that. Bianchi. <laughs> <laughs> I could just get a little funky bike that I won't matter. Even if it gets stolen, it won't matter. But there's, a, there's an openness to discovery and living present in the moment, which is enriched because it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's interesting because I feel like people could have the argument of the Kia versus the Mercedes all day long and then forget that a bike is even an option. <laughs> right, right. The front, front of the newspaper today has a picture of a guy who's out riding around on his tricycle. Oh, fantastic. The, probably a person that has health problems, I'm guessing. Yeah. He's out walking his dog, riding his tricycle. Mm -hmm. And there, yeah. So, that's, you know, it, it can open things up. For sure. The most liberated person I feel like I've seen in Spokane. And I wonder if you've seen this guy. He rides around and he has very long curly hair. And he pulls a trailer behind his bike that's like a kid's trailer. And he has a radio in that trailer. And he's always blaring like Grateful Dead or like some really jammy music in the summertime. And he'll always cruise right by Rockwood Bakery. And that's a guy who's like, Kia, Mercedes, what are you even talking about? I'm yeah. on a bike with a kid's trailer blaring music for other people. And maybe experience a level of joy that the person in the Mercedes is, doesn't have. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I think there are like, I'm trying to find the right words for this, but there are parameters and categories for where joy is supposed to reside. And then you can level uh -huh. up. It's kind of like what you're saying. It's sort of, but it's, it doesn't go deeper. It just mm -hmm. operates um, on a continuum of, oh, the Mercedes is more expensive, so therefore it should give me more joy. Yes. As opposed to being uh -huh. quiet enough to allow yourself to listen to what is it that will actually give you the most Right. Joy. Maybe it's a bike with a trailer behind it. Right. This is, a little, do that. Uh -huh. this is a little bit dated information, so you'd have to adapt it, adjust it a little bit. But at one point in a book called uh, Small is Beautiful by E.F. Schumacher, <clears throat> where they had quantifiably identified what is the income level at which if you exceed it, there is no um, evidence that you're happier. Hmm. $70,000 a year. Wow. That's interesting. All, the, all those additional things beyond that. I mean, maybe they'll be fun. Maybe you'll like them. 
a lot of material things we get has to do with the longing, the purchase, and the early ownership, which then after a while, it's just the car, right? Right. Right. Over the momentary, uh, whatever induces that excitement of the new. Right. And actually, it doesn't in the end embed as a deeper place of joy or satisfaction. Right. That's interesting. Capitalism kind of feeds that almost drug-like hit of a purchase. Mm-hmm. owning a commodity like oh my gosh i put all this time and energy or we tell ourselves these myths which can be somewhat true and now mm-hmm. i can buy that thing but right like, pretty quickly after that it's well now what's the next thing i got the standing desk <laughs> <laughs> right and so we're i speak for myself i'm very seduced by that yeah same the little like whatever it is in my range of interests, right. um, some new thing. Um, I am enthralled at the moment with a new brand and type of um, cycling bib shorts. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, so excited. All right. So excited. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. But Ready? it does. We always do this. We find the new thing to obsess over. And that's where this particular passage of Ecclesiastes 3, uh, 1 through 8, of like, there's a time for this, there's a time for that, there's there's a time for that. And the question that I was thinking about coming into this, which I feel like we've already acknowledged and then some, but Uh is the idea of like, how do we know what time it is? Um, And I think... Where that question stems from, I'm realizing now, is we can be so detached from what the moment is actually causing us to feel that we need someone to tell us what time it is. Like, oh, now's the time for you to be Now's the time for you to be joyous. Because we're not actually, I, f- I feel like what this passage is trying to say is there is a time for each of those things. Are you making room for there to be a time for each of those things? Because right. I know... From, I mean, this is painting with a broad brush, but from a left perspective, I feel like there's an overemphasis on despair. Like, you need look at the world, it's crumbling to the ground. There are so many things to be upset about. And then some people can um, criticize the right for, you know, glossing over the negative nature of reality. Uh-huh. We're like, based on where our ideology falls, there are almost prescriptions as to how we're supposed to feel about our lives as opposed to what this is saying, which is, there's a time for this, there's a time for that. Are you paying attention to the time that you're in and are you giving it the attention it deserves so that you can see what can be born from it? I think one of my, um, uh, a real uh, engaging moment for me around this type of topic, what time are we in? happened to me when I was a pastor on the Hoopa Indian Reservation, which is um, in the mountains outside of Eureka, California. Very isolated. We were there. We lived there for four years and had a really rich experience there. But our the church was on 10 acres of property with a house that we lived in. And it was adjacent to the elementary school and across the street from the high school. So with... Um, you know, some fences and hedges and a building that was pretty empty. It was a terrific target for people um, 
cutting out on school. <laughs> they could slip across the street and hide out at the hedges behind the church. Yeah. And I would see these young people doing that. And, um, you know, I, over after a while, I knew many of them. And I would see them come and hide behind the hedge, which was below my office. And, <clears throat> and sometimes I'd engage them, sometimes not. And I would see, I remember this one kid, Ronnie Nolf was his name. And then they would head up into the hills, which are trails up literally across the street were mountains going straight up. Wow. And, they, and they would head up those trails. And I remember thinking one day, well, what is that like for Ronnie? I mean, what's, I'm wondering what's going on here. And I, I had this like great awareness suddenly. The Hoopa Indians have been in that valley for 10,000 years. He was a he was a child of a lineage that has been there for ten thousand years, and that his his experience of going up there into those trees would be incomprehensible to me. He's experiencing something I am incapable of experiencing by virtue of our background, and given his background, his lineage of being connected to the earth, the mountains, the trees, the birds. Was that more valuable for him to sit in a class in statistics when he would probably end up being a logger wow. or, or as a young person to quietly wander the hills and the mountains and to see the deer tracks, um, knowing that his parents had done that and his grandparents and his great-grandparents as far back as human memory exists. Yeah. Wow. His, his, and the culture's notion of time <laughs> is just framed differently. You're speaking my language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Because there's a time to focus on the thing right in front of you. And then there's a time to focus on what, who, and what are you? And like going towards the hills and becoming attached and aware of that side of yourself. <laughs> Something that like, just does not happen nearly enough. It's much more, what's the latest thing to be concerned about? What's the latest um, thing to pay attention to? And of course, we need to be educated and informed. But I was just yesterday, we're having a tree in our front yard has to be trimmed back pretty significantly and turned into a habitat tree because it's dying. It's a very old cottonwood and it looms over our house. So it's a bad situation. But I went outside and I looked up into it and mm -hmm. I saw a couple different woodpeckers. They were kind of, just, oh, wow. yeah, hopping their way around looking for a bug or two. And it struck me in that moment that it had been so long. I, I, I've been living in this house since late September and I haven't taken the time for more than five minutes uh, to actually look up into that tree. Yeah. How much time have I given to the things that are happening thousands of miles away, the things that I really can't control anything about? Mm -hmm. I'm not paying attention to the tree that's in my front yard and the life that's going on there. There's a time for both, but mm -hmm. I feel like the time of making space to be like Ronnie and going for the hills or making time to look up at the birds in the tree in your front yard, we're way out of balance because what I sense is much more time is focused on worrying about something that is well beyond our scope of where we're at. 
Mm-hmm. There's not nearly enough time to pay attention to where we are. One time when I was, uh, again, back to the Hoopa Indian Reservation, just because it came to my mind, when you think about time, there are some experiences that were really touching to me because to think about being in a place where people and their ancestors have lived right here for 10,000 years, mm-hmm. that alone is kind of breathtaking. Yes. And it has, it ripples in many directions. And I remember talking to an older uh, Native woman um, about, you know, what she thought about the tramp. The, I saw within the Native community sort of three paths. One were the people that had fully embraced modernity and they knew they were Native, but it didn't matter to them. It was not meaningful to them. Then there was another group at the other extreme that were very resistant to modernity, were keeping up the old practices, still spoke the language, mm. uh, lived in, in ways that were more simple and connected to the earth. And then a middle group that were saw value in both. And I remember speaking to this woman, she probably represented the middle group for the most part, but I asked her about what she thought about these changes that were coming and so forth. And she said, well, you know, she said, you, you white people have only been here a couple hundred years. And so we'll have to wait and see if it really brings any value. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, right. So it's, um, when you look at the uh, woodpecker, if you go deep with the woodpecker as best you're able and try to just grasp it in some way, it, it enlarges. Oh yeah, makes it much can go much bigger very quickly just by a pause. Definitely, yeah. Let something unfurl as opposed to glossing over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a. I mean, there's a whole world within everything. Yes. The more deep you go, the more conduits you see of mm-hmm. that thing extending to other things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we've talked about this before, but the notion of the wood wide web that they're discovering that underneath the soil trees have these fungal networks that are connecting them to other trees. And it's like a very literal notion of, yeah, it's right here. There's so much 200 years. You haven't been here for very long. We'll we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. We're waiting to see how it turns out. What a, and it's, it's, uh, a certain lack of ego too that I feel like us in the West have a really hard time understanding mm-hmm. because for us, it's all about what am I doing with my life to make a difference? And the focus is on me doing something with my life as opposed to how am I actually integrating myself into something well beyond me that will span time well beyond myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, uh, you know, Mike, I have this love for all things Italian. I grew up there as a child and, I believe there are some things we could learn from them. But I think, again, they have the advantage that they often live in houses that were built generations before them. And it's just their turn to paint the walls and to plant the flowers. Mm. And it'll be somebody else's turn after them. And uh, before them were the Romans. And before that were the Greeks. And before that were the Etruscans with their beautiful artistic culture. Um, dating back, let's say, 500 years BC, something like that. Um, And so you see in that culture, and I think this is uh, fundamental to why why they get to this. So if if 
tourists are showing up someplace and this store, it's lunchtime, it's noon, not lunchtime, it's noon. And there's some tourists that want to come in and buy, buy something. Oh no, they close the doors, they pull down <laughs> the blinds, they go home or take a walk for two hours <laughs> because they don't need to sell one more little thing that day. There's, there's more to life than maximizing how much they can make and consume. Oh man. This, even hearing that feels like you're just kind of like taking off five layers of weight. Yeah. It's what a concept to be like that in touch with the limits of your own self. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> now you're just going to walk down the street. You're going to look up and see some pigeons. Right. You're going to sit down and have some cheese and a little glass of wine. Might exactly. take a little, take a little nap. Exactly. Just let it be. Let it be. Right. There's a, it could be a very beautiful book that dives into that concept of living your life, which is, I'm trying to think the title now, but I love the image of we're just painting the walls. Like that's what we're here for. Right. That sure extends well beyond our context in our life. We're just here to paint the walls. <laughs> something obviously don't be passive about it all but also understand that there are limits to our own ability right yeah it's good to paint the walls because otherwise by the time you pass it to the next generation the walls will be in bad shape so right. you know, take care of the walls gotta keep up yeah do your part exactly for the good of the for everything for the good of everything right, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so yeah, Ecclesiastes 3, yes. that poem really delves into the, the breadth of everything he could think of, think of, right? Absolutely, yeah. The, it, the spans of these things that we experience, version of the Bible I have says, because it's true, those are the extremes, but also within each one of those things, the whole world of reality and to pay attention yeah. to where we are on the spectrum is what it means to be here. Culture, culture, everybody lives in a culture, and every culture is going to have its own um, energy and force. Hmm. And some of it is probably good. But uh, if you can also find ways to step aside from the unconscious things that drive you so that you can be open to other things, there's a lot of richness in this, this realm that we get to live in, even though it's only going to be a little smidgen of a moment of time absolutely it can be profoundly infinitely rich in a smidgen of time definitely if you give it the time it deserves pay attention to the frogs there's a time there's a time for it yeah exactly (laughs) hey good mike always good to talk yes you too woody thank you so much for doing this and i look forward to next week and seeing where it takes us yeah talk to you soon take care be well you too